In the following live session recording, Mike Griffin, public affairs representative with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, talks about the Christian's response to the growing LGBT culture. This is a comprehensive study on how the church can reach out to the LGBT community without compromising the gospel and the integrity of church membership. It is important that churches respond lovingly, but firmly, on biblical truth. Let's join Mike now. Father, we thank you for this time to be able to come together. We thank you that greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. Yes. Uh, we thank you that you're sufficient for every need. Yes, and we just plead the intercession of your Holy Spirit over this time and ask you to work with any other spirit but your spirit as we yield to you. Yes, Lord, Lord. 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 Give us ears to hear Lord, what you're saying in these days. Uh, hearts, uh, Lord, that are um, just conditioned to listen to what you've got to say today. Yes, to that, give us wisdom and understanding about the times in which we're living. And we may honor you proclaim and live the gospel now more than ever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you get a picture of us, you're right. You go if there's any more, I've got two more seats right there. And if we run out, there's seats next to the door. They can come in right there. You're there. Um, but it's so good to have you here today. And you've got some handouts that are there. And, um, uh, My name is Mike Griffin. I'm the public affairs representative of the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. And I have been a Georgia Baptist pastor for 35 years. And uh, sort of the unique thing about all this is that um, I'm a pastor, I've run for political office, and I'm a lobbyist. Does it get any worse than that? Um, people say my name, but it tends to smile or spit because of those things sometimes. And uh, 35 years here in the state, uh, worked with Georgia Baptist for six years, Georgia Right to Life eight years as a lobbyist. 2006, I ran for state representative left. 2007, Georgia Right to Life started training me to be a lobbyist. Uh, you know, since uh, your church is going to allow you to be in Atlanta three months out of the year, uh, what's the difference? You come up there and be our, end up being our state field director and uh, their legislative director. And um, so uh, two of those 12 years, I represent George Bebs and Georgia Rock Life. Many of you may know Ray Newman, who passed away uh, during that time. Dr. White called hey, can you represent us and Georgia Rock? Well, they let you do that. And uh, so they did. And so it's, it's been a tremendous experience. Uh, as you know, I lost that state rep race and got me projected into this type of ministry. And I know people saying, what was a Baptist preacher doing involved in politics? I said, have you ever been a member of a Baptist church? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you can't even get into heaven unless you know the right person. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to know you. And uh, I said, you know, this job would be easy if it wasn't for people. Yeah. Here's the deal. It wouldn't be this job if it was not for people. Jesus came to die for people. Yes, amen. He did. He gave his life. So it's all about people. It's all about ministry. And politics... And I know we don't like to talk about that word because y'all know what that means. Poly means many ticks, many blood suckers. But, you know, uh, <laughs> 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 hey, let, me, let me say something. You know, you state representative, the old boy sitting there, old country boy, had his door open on his truck that's coming down the uh, post office. And he said, hey, preacher, come here. 
and wasn't a member of our church. I've been pastoring about 27 years in Hartwell now. And he said, come here. And uh, of course, that had been 27 years at that moment. I've been about seven or eight. What's this I hear about you running for political office? I said, it's right, I am. He said, man, he said, don't you know that politics is for wicked people? <laughs> and I said, no, it's not. Here's the point. Politics in and of itself is not wicked. Actually, the word politics means influence when it comes down to it. One of the words I would use to describe it. Well, what is, what, how we describe as believers, salt and light. Now, I said politics is not wicked. It's the people that get involved in it that make it that way. And Scripture says that when the righteous are in charge, people rejoice. When the wicked bear the rule, people mourn. That's just, that's just biblical principles of facts. I'm not trying to tell you that we put anything above the gospel. But parenthetically, I want to go ahead and say that the gospel is to be involved in everything in life by way yeah. of Amen. the institutions which are right. at home, the church and government. Uh, all those things. So I'm just saying, we're, to, we're, we're not to be held up in one area or one mm -hmm. place, but the gospel through us and the light and the salt is to seep into area, every area. When we think about the areas that we need the gospel, the Lord knows we could use some of it in government. Mm -hmm. And the more we get, the better it is. The less we get, well, you see what's happening. Uh, we're at a point where um, the reason we're in the shape we're in today is because we have backed out of it. It's true. Amen. So the longer we back out of it, there'll be a day when you want to get in and you can't. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you'll be so categorized right. as being a hate monger or something like that, or even worse, that the societal norms and even the standards of which what you have to apply to even get a place at the table will be gone. Mm -hmm. Dr. White's point with me and the ministry we do here is he wanted Georgia Baptist to have a seat at the table with public policies being made. Because if somebody is there to represent 1.4 million Georgians and 35 to 3,600 churches somewhere between that are in this state, uh, they have a voice and they're rep. But but when you go to the Capitol, unfortunately, at times it's gold, gals, glory, and gains. If you're not careful in those areas, they'll destroy a ministry, destroy politicians, and so uh, the people that work the system benefit from it. People think that just because they elect people uh, that their work is done. Electing good people to office is like planting a garden. Your work has just started. Mm -hmm. and then you need to be down there as an organization representative too. That ain't what we're here talking about. Just tell us, that's, the, that's where I come from and, and how that perspective. Let me, let me show this to you very quick because like, I can already tell the way things are going. I'm not going to be able to cover what I want to do, but I will get over some of these things. I want you to look at, this right here is a public affairs website, a web page, go to gabaptist.org slash public affairs forward slash, and you can go to, on that page, if you go up here to the Vimeo channel, you click down on that. Every year I do a report that's broke up into three to five minute segments to show you the church on gambling, abortion, um, you know, all those types of issues that are out there that I deal with every year, uh, you can find out what's happening. Go to under the Gold Dome, you see all the articles that I'm writing as the legislative session is going on. So you can keep up. Here's all the issues you can talk about from guns, which is probably be on another website. But right now, it's on that because we lobbied on that 
uh, dealing with protection and marriage, thought predatory, all those types. I'm just saying, you go to that. I'm trying to point you to where you can find the information that you need beyond what I'm going to be able to uh, share with you today. Okay. Now, let's begin by, by, first of all, looking at what the purpose of this class is. And you'll see that on your sheets. And by the way, you've got a sheet there. That, that's about uh, maybe 75 8% of the notes, so that you've got something. Because uh, have you ever drank any water from a fire hydrant? Well, it's kind of like being hit by a truck. You don't have to have to experience it. No, it's got to be rough. But, uh, you know, when you're drinking from a fire hydrant, you better have some goggles on. This coming a lot of it, copious amounts, as we say in firefighting. And only very little is getting in your mouth, even though there's a lot of water coming. So today, I'm throwing a lot at you. It's not meant to be a lot, but I don't have a way of really containing it because it's so wide and so varied. And uh, so it, it's just, it's supposed to be a one-on-one -on -one class where we just kind of start you out at the ground level. And so it's a comprehensive study on how the church can reach out to the LGBT community without compromise, compromising the gospel and taking the church membership. Support the church to respond lovingly but firmly on biblical truth. That's a balance. You know, all around again, I'm 58 in the past 35 years. Um, when I look at uh, maturity, is balance. Understanding. It's not so much right and left here, there. It's, it's balance. Understanding and knowing when to apply things. You really got to walk with the Lord and be led by the Holy Spirit because there's not cookie cutter positions on everything. There's not a chapter and verse on everything. There's principles to use and apply. You have to be walking with the Lord to know how to do that at times. How the application part for a lot of us we lose. We love that talking what's right and what's wrong and moralism and all that. But you know really how am I supposed to live that out in my life every day? So this lesson will discuss how to graciously deal with the LGBT community and the policy need to protect the church's religious freedom. I start out with these two verses. First one has to do with uh, First Chronicles, because it says in it that the sons of Issachar understood the times and they knew what they ought to do. And so we have to ask the Lord to help us understand the times and to know what to do. Now I'm telling you, those those are two great feats. Really understanding what's happening. That's sort of what I'm trying to get you to see. This is happening. I mean, you should know that already. But the second thing is, what are we supposed to do? How do we respond to this? That's what we're going to try to talk about. And now I just want to encourage you from the Esther passage here where it says that who, that who knoweth whether or not uh, thou art coming to the kingdom for such a time as this. So the Lord's put you here and God's not surprised. Uh, and I just, you know, has it ever occurred to you? Nothing ever occurs to God. Um, he's not sitting around having aha minutes and whoa, I never thought that would happen. But he, he's very much aware of what's going on, and we tap into what he's doing and to give us the wisdom of how to deal with that. So the words put you here. Uh, a book that I highly recommend I came in contact with about six years ago. It's called Glenn Stanton's book titled Loving My LGBT Neighbor. And you can see I've worked through it like a cookbook. And um, it was really, really a good resource for me. Now, I can't say I agree with everything in the book, but, you know, I go back and look over 35 years of preaching, I don't agree with all my sermons either. Uh, I need to tell my grandchildren, don't listen to that when I said the first 10 years. But anyway, uh, you know, because when I started out, I knew everything. <laughs> and now I know a few things. I know the main thing is Jesus, and uh, I'm trying to show you how to apply it. I don't have the cookie-cutter answers anymore that I use. 
which makes us have to really, really, really walk with the Lord to know how to apply some sure. of these things. This will help break the seal on maybe an area you haven't been thinking of. And uh, so anyway, I had a lady in here yesterday who's been a lesbian for 13 years. She's been saved for about, I don't know, 15 or 20 now. And she came out and said, yeah, what you said, Michael, was right. I didn't know she was even in here. And I'm sure maybe someone in here has already gone through that or maybe going through that. There's not anybody in here that doesn't have this association somewhere in Japan. Mm-hmm. Just like abortion. You know, there's nobody talking about abortion that somebody hadn't had an abortion sitting there while you're talking or their child or their mother. Breaks my heart. Yeah. Uh, when I was sharing one time, uh, leaving an event, my son was driving and uh, he said, Dad, one thing you forgot to do tonight when you spoke. I mean, I've traveled the state everywhere. It's churches, political meetings, chapter meetings. Rotary clubs, Kiwanis clubs, go rotors, and chitlin stretch. I do it all. <laughs> On these moral social issues, and he said, Dad, you forgot to say one thing. I said, Why? He said, that the Lord can forgive you for abortion. It's not the unpardonable sin. And uh, so we have to not only preach the standard, but we, you know, I'm going to talk about this a little later. It's grace and truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what Jesus emphasized when he was here. It's the book I'd recommend. Now let's let's start with the basics here and try to try to just we talk about LGBT. What does it mean? L stands for women, lesbian women who are sexually attracted to other women. Again, um, with that one, then we go down to gay. It's typically a term that is used to uh, for men attracted to men, but it's also a term you're going to see for just same-sex attraction. It's also used as a political term as well. And there's no real Webster's Dictionary on a lot of this stuff. Bisexual, one who is sexually attracted to and interested in both male and female. A transgender, a person who is physically born male or female but is either starting to transition to or currently live, lives according to the gender that they feel inside them. And so I've got the gender bred person. This was introduced I think about 2012 uh, with a group of uh, public school teachers I think in California, and I think it was also used in a convention in Alabama. I'm not trying to knock you with two states, I'm just saying. You can Google it tonight, there's a 2.0, 2.3, they, they developed this. This is not something I'm trying to teach, I'm just trying to show you. I saw a unicorn that was on Facebook a few days ago, did y'all see that? This is used to teach children. Uh, you know, the drag queen coming in and doing story time with preschoolers and young children. This is an ingraining and grafting at a very early age. I just want you to see that. This kind of shows you where people are thinking. You know, their identity, they say, is in their head, the orientation's in their heart, of course, you see where the other is. So, and then, then there's how you want to express it. And then you've got all the different divisions that are given here. So it'd be very complicated. But that's what they're trying to teach. They're totally, they're totally going against biology which they pretty much accuse the right of not affirming biology. We always, you know, we're always out here into mysticism. Well, when you get to this, years ago, and I can show you, I mean, I can even show you um, an article here uh, from uh, the, Met, the American Association, Psychological Association, saying that transgenderism does not have a biological connection. You're not born that way. They, there's no science to prove that. Um, but 
you know, they're, they're saying we didn't do that. Now they're not doing that. Uh, biological sex is something that's ignored because we usually want to use the term gender, which is a new phenomenon that's come about in the last 50, 60 years. Then I want to add this. I'm going to go ahead and add the Q and the GD, and that's not to be a cuss word, but I'm just, you know, that's, I thought about that after I realized that. But, but that, is a, that, is a, that is a term, it is called GD. Dealing with that when you're reading articles, sometimes they will use that. And uh, queer generally identifies one as challenging moral value hierarchy and uh, most uh, of most sexual expressions and identities. This is something we're really dealing with now in the 18 year olds and under. It's called gender dysphoria. And it's poorly defined syndrome compromising one or more mental health problems, commonly including anxiety and depression, among others. It includes a strong desire to be the opposite sex or at least to perform. It's stereotypes. And so we're finding that out there. I actually had a meeting uh, with the, uh, um, the Association of Suicide Prevention, and they're advocating for a bill that was introduced last year at Georgia General Assembly against conversion therapy to outlaw it in the state that no therapist can start any type of therapy that seeks to reverse somebody's identity back to their biology. They can give their moral conviction, but they can't do anything that leads to a conclusion that will turn them around if they find and lose their license. Yeah. Mm. My point was, and their point is, that that increases suicidal rates among these young people. My point was, what's increasing the suicidal rates is the coercion, not the persuasion, but the coercion of those who are manipulating children through genderbred to when they have thoughts that are passing through their mind to hold on to them. Now anybody in this room, including yours truly, from one to 18, didn't think some stupid stuff. You know, didn't hear some stupid things. Didn't believe some things for a year or two or three. Now, it's one thing to believe and nothing to get hung in. When you start having surgeries, you start getting hormones, you all your treatments, tests, I mean, whatever it is you want to get uh, to try to change you, no matter what you are as you are born, uh, if you die now, you know, 400 years from now, we dig you up and check your DNA, you're still going to be a woman or a man. That's it. Amen. Jesus, I mean, you know, God himself said he created male and female. So I'm just laying that out here before you. Now, if that's not enough to scare you, you got to think that in a lot of these areas that we're now looking at that were once psychological terms and uh, psychoses and where uh, mental health issues were there to treat people. Uh, we're now moving you know, in the area toward pedophilia where it's going to end up moving just not as a disorder, no longer a crime, a disorder, but disorders typically move to orientation. Orientations move to identities and identities move to rights. And I'm not making this up. Yeah, I mean, there's an article here, LGBT is, swift, is uh, swiftly being normalized, pedophilia uh, is next. Mm -hmm. uh, I have an article here where, um, I'm losing everything, guys. But there is an article here where, in France, they have already attempted to pass laws legalizing consensual sex between children and adults. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
we've got a real issue here. I, I just found out uh, last week from somebody that met with the GBI that in Georgia there is no law banning uh, computerized pornography imagery regarding children. And typically you have to be a technician to, feel like, to realize whether it's a computer generated picture or it's an actual photo. So what is fueling a lot of this is the pornography industry, of which you and I, hopefully we're not doing it, in three clicks can see what would take me three months to walk on the side of the road and find thrown out. Uh, you're, th this right here is becoming one of the most dangerous two-edged swords. Amen. Amen. And your child don't have to have an iPhone. Here, here abuse is very, very bad. You know about child protection and pornography is driving that. Uh, so we're trying to stop sex trafficking on this side where water is. On the other side, they're squirting kerosene on it with pornography. And I don't know about you, but kerosene water, I think the kerosene's going to win. So it's hard. I'm for rescuing. We can do all we can. But I believe an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure any day. That's kind of what we're trying to do here, and I'm getting off my notes, uh, which is a common problem. But again, I don't want to scare you. I'm not trying to go real nutty with you here. But I've known about this for a long time with uh, um, Peter Singer, who was an ethicist at Princeton, also on the 15 pound Obama count of panel of Obamacare. And then you can Google it and find it yourself. There's a, you can go to YouTube, you can go to a number of places he's quoted unashamedly saying that there's nothing immoral about humans having sex with animals as long as it, the animal doesn't resist and doesn't harm the animal. He's not saying it's for He just says nothing wrong with it from the standpoint of a moral because he's amoral. So, you know, you don't have, if you don't believe anything is wrong, you have a problem believing anything is right. Right. So we've had a total of our... our Foundation be destroyed. What will the righteous do? He can't do anything to have a foundation. But that, that's part of, that's just sort of, I'm just saying that's kind of where we're headed. With all the stuff that's going on today, I mean, you go back, we were dealing with the issue of homosexuality, then we went to same sex marriage, uh, you know, and, the, and now marriage, you know, that is now legal, and we're dealing with transgenderism, and then moving into the dysphoria and potential malice pedophilia. And, so my point is, as Jules Popper said, satire doesn't stand a chance against reality anymore. I can't make up things that are more bizarre than what the truth is now that's happening out here. Now, I will say this. I do have that article over here, but I, I lost the top of it the other day. But I do, it, it, it is, you can find this, write it down in your notes, and Google it and turn it up. Americans still greatly overestimate US, uh, U.S. gay population. Uh, I don't remember the, the actual, but you can find that. And, and the point is, when they do surveys, and this just came out in 2019, this article from Gallup, when they do surveys, people are typically uh, saying that it's in the 20 to 30% range of LGBT. And, but the actual reality is it's probably somewhere around 4.5. And this is just amazing that the influence of that small amount of that population, which I'm sure is growing, uh, I don't have, if you go into all the other different kinds kind of identities of people that are sexually attracted and they're not engaged in activity along with sexuality, I'm sure those figures would be higher. But I'm just saying there's almost a, you know, it, it'll say it's like a cat fluffed up if you squirt water on it, it's not near as big. You, know? you, know, you make yourself look as big as you can when, when you're trying to move about. And that's what I do when I do hearings. I say, you know, 
uh, 1.4 million Georgia Baptists, you know, 3,600 churches, and of course I know I don't know where they all are, but but that is on record. So that is what we do recommend as far as uh, getting stats out. We talk a little bit about the evolution of homosexuality, and as we just look at homosexuality in general, uh, it's an attraction to someone of the uh, of the same sex. Homosexuality. Uh, was not originally known as an identity, but as an action. And um, the term homosexuality as a category is only about a hundred years old. You're not going to find that actual. You'll find it new translation in the scripture. You won't see that because that term is a, is a only been used in the last one hundred years. It went from an act to a mental condition slash psychological disorder to an orientation. Uh, now the same thing. Of course, you've already saw what's being said about. Um, Since the mid-80s, it has become as a identity or an identifying characteristic. Therefore, now it's being seen as a right. So you look at the social evolution of homosexuality. It started out as an act. Then it came to, to a thing itself that was classified as a disorder that needed to be healed of. Then it went to an or orientation, thus a political movement. And then it went down to an identi identity and thus as a right. Let's talk a little bit about the nature of homosexuality. There are three distinctions that are usually viewed as, as one. But we're going to divide it up so you can kind of see into it. There's same-sex attraction. These are people who consider themselves to have the same attraction up to always being attracted to the same sex. Then there's sexual orientation. These are people who always experience same-sex attraction. They consider it to be their consent or strongly dominate dominant sexual desire uh, or preference. And then you have same-sex identity. It's understood that those who consider their orientation as same-sex attraction, gay or lesbian, will go to identify themselves with the subcultural identity as gay. So when it comes to responding to the gay agenda, I think we have to approach it in two areas. Um, we have to deal with the agenda itself and then in dealing with the homosexual and the LGBT community. <clears throat> with respect to the agenda, of course we have to reject it. Um, now, when it comes to rejecting the agenda, we do so with every fiber of our being. At the very point to which the LGBT agenda raises its head, it must be fought and, and resisted immediately. I go with the Barney Five philosophy, nip it, nip it, nip it. <laughs> It really, you do need to deal with it uh, by way of not consenting or giving in. And then, uh, that, let me put this, let's see. Um, the gender is connected to a moral sexual revolution. Theo Hobson had this to say, that there are basically three characteristics of a moral or sexual revolution or some type of moral revolution, ours is a sexual revolution that's taking place in, in our nation today. First of all, uh, something that was nearly universally condemned, for example, homosexuality must become nearly universally accepted. Number two, that which was celebrated, for example, biblical morality must now be condemned. We may want to go, y'all hot in here? I'm like, there I got the fan in here, and I thought, that's a bad sign. Uh, but anyway, I don't know if you may want to open the door if that might make it better. Um, but anyway, look at, look at this progression here, or degression. 
something that was nearly universally condemned now must become celebrated. That which was celebrated biblical morality must now be condemned. And then thirdly, those Christians who refuse to celebrate, and I'm adding in that he did not say Christians. Uh, the brackets, I'm adding the word there to show you show you the application of his philosophy to our day. And for, for this example, those Christians who refuse to celebrate that which was once condemned homosexuality must now be condemned even themselves. And this is a this is a total reversal of what might have been called a stigma in the past. Um, and just to show you how bad it's getting, and this is Tim Gill. Uh, Tim Gill is a multimillionaire. He's from Cal Colorado, and he's very big in the. Uh, he's a mega donor behind the LGBTQ movement. He's very influential. He claimed in stopping the religious liberty bill that Governor Dick vetoed, because he had identified the year before seven states that he was going to pour money into to stop any religious liberty legislation whatsoever. They have already now coined anything to do with religious liberty and discrimination. I mean, it has been so demagogued that you can't even use the word religious liberty now. It immediately means discrimination or hate or something like that, which you and I know is paramount in the family of our nation because of the God being the Lord of the conscience, not government. So it was a freedom thing. How they made it look like it's a, you know, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's an enslavement type of thing. No, it's not meant to be that. However, he then came out in 2017 in a Rolling Stones article and said, it's now time that we punish the wicked. That sounds like a statement from a right-wing, you know, sawdust trail, ultra-conservative preacher out there saying that we need to do something about these wicked. But I want you to know that he's talking about you. It's almost like something that would be said in the Old Testament talking about... Yeah, that which is right is now wrong, and that which is wrong is right. And and so that's where we're heading. That's how bad it's turned now, and it's continuing to turn. And the um, corporate side is very heavy into this because there has been, if you want to use the term, an infiltration because it does seem to be intentional to put people in places of authority that they are on those boards. And so that when we deal with a, with a religious liberty issue, which we don't, which is not about sex, religious liberty is far beyond dealing with a sex issue. It just happens to be comes into play when it's brought in with religious liberty. And um, but you know, Coca Cola, UPS, you know, all those uh, Disney, everybody gets involved in it now, and so it becomes a, a very big money issue. Al Mohler had this to say in Southern Seminary. He says, we're accustomed to ministry from the top side of culture, uh, not from the underside. He said, we're accustomed to speaking from a position of strength and respect and credibility, and now we're going to be faced with the reality that, that we are in already in much of America, speaking from a position of loss of credibility. This now moves to the place where we're going to begin to see an enforcement of this moral revolution in public policy as we move uh, toward being made to care. I've got what uh, Chai uh, had to say, uh, Phil Blum had this to say, she said, let me be very clear, in most situations, not perhaps everyone, but in almost everyone, I believe the burden of religious people that will be caused by granting gay people full equality will be justified. That's because I believe granting liberty to gay people advances the compelling governmental interest so that an interest to be uh, adequately advanced uh, if pockets of resistance to societal state, statement of equality are permitted to flourish. Now, you know, what were the pockets of resistance? 
more likely he's talking about the church. Uh, and hence that a law that permits no individual exception based on religious beliefs will be the least restrictive means of achieving the goal of liberty for gay people. She goes on to say that yet when we punish push comes to shove or religious liberty, sexual liberty, conflict, excuse me, I'm having a hard time coming up with any case in which religious liberty shouldn't be. And so I want to hand this out to you if y'all will pass me. I don't, I'm not going to go over all this. But uh, I had written this over a few years ago, just passing it all the way back. Um, to what I thought one of this goes into all of those arguments, and uh, let's start passing those around there. She uses a compelling interest, least restrictive means. That's really what the First Amendment is supposed to be about. And when there was a court ruling in the early 90s that got away with the strict scrutiny method of the highest in a court case, Bill Clinton and Chuck Schumer and Republicans and all came together and passed the Religious Freedom Restoration Act to restore strict scrutiny rather than intermediate scrutiny so that the highest compelling and the least restrictive would have to be used in religious liberty cases. And the only way you can restore that back is to have a ripple. But it's not policy. It's only a court standard. It's still left up to the judge. And she's saying that she believes the time has come when uh, this, this, the country has a compelling interest. And that's why I don't have a video to show you any of these other things today because all my nothing's working. But uh, the Equality Act will take everything that you and I are concerned about on a local level, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, called SOGIs, which are public accommodation laws. When you pass these on a local level, for example, determining who can use bathrooms, Typically, churches are opted out. But in Iowa, Massachusetts, they passed them where it also included churches. And ADF got involved while spending freedom and was able to stop them. And then they uh, took the exclusion, they gave the exclusion back to the church. But it shows us that where they're heading with all of these laws when it comes to bathrooms and showers, all these types of things, is to eventually include churches. And uh, for example, one, in one of the cases, actual case, if you have like the wedding supper, public invited, that's now public accommodation, so whatever public accommodation laws are passed, and if it has a soji in it, then it has to apply to the church. If you put a sign out front that says, uh, revival, public invited, you just made that a public accommodation. And what we're being taught, that the only way to get an exception to that or that you have to have a personal invitation or you have to be a member of the place to exclude public. <clears throat> now, how do you think? That ain't going to ever happen. There's a lot of things that have happened in the last six or seven years. I we didn't think we were going to happen. I thought I was going to get out here and go on to heaven. This would be my grandchildren's problem. You know what I'm saying? All of us have been saying that. You may not get out. And the fact you're going to get out not going to get out now. It shouldn't have been why all of a sudden now you're concerned because you already care about your children and grandchildren. But now there's a broad sweeping piece of legislation called the Equality Act passed the House. And every horror that you've got of a soji and a public accommodation law all of a sudden become a national law. The LGBT would be raised to the same level as race and biological sex. 
and discrimination in any of those areas is carried with the same fines and penalties that justifiably ought to be in race and biological sex discrimination. I'm going to raise it to that level. See what I'm saying? And that, that, that article I've given you there that I've never published yet um, kind of goes in to showing you what the difference is between the two. Okay. Now, um, I, I, I know uh, Travis Barham, and here's what he said. He said, um, he said, the homosexual left will probably not go after churches until much later. Churches are a more sympathetic target before they will like to target Christian business owners, Arlene Flowers, Masterpiece Cake, and all that. And the other Christian institutions, they're already trying to truncate religious freedom into the freedom of worship. The latter, of course, only exists in worship services. The former of that amendment guarantees much broader. That is why the reference to the Constitution is a free exercise of religion. Another class I teach later on today be on religious liberty and, and uh, evangelism and missions. The point is they're trying to say that you can believe and do all these things as long as it's in the church. Worship is restricted to a place. It's not a life that you live. And so that's why they're thinking that they're going to come for the churches later. But I want you to know that's going to happen. You just saw what uh, Chai said and she, she's no longer Serving that was under the Obama administration. This might be a political thing here, y'all. I'm just saying these are what the people were saying that were there. So what happens is when you hear this, you kind of it kind of lets you know where they're going. I mean, I'm sitting in committees, meetings, hearings on the uh, adoption overhaul bill that we did, and I had a a Methodist female pastor who pastored a a large LGBT community church say that she didn't believe that families that believe that homosexuality was a sin and that same-sex marriage was a sin are qualified to serve as foster care parents because they have they believe in hate. Now what that says is that the time is coming when we're concerned about have been forced to allow children to go into same-sex families from a Christian standpoint, it's going to be turned around the other way. You're not even going to be qualified to be a foster care parent if you don't believe in getting married. Not that you have to be married same-sex. You have to do it for a firm. I'm just saying that's where we're headed. I was showing you a video about that. Okay. I will say that I have a video on this too, but I'm going to see. But there's already out there a website called Clarity.org. Clarity, why? Because it talks about the fact that churches should be clear on where they are on the LGBT. This is not a conservative organization. This is where they're going to begin identifying where the pockets of resistance are. So people are going to attend your church, they're going to listen to you preach, they're going to go to your website. And they're going to send in a report, and then they're going to seek to verify it on what they can actually prove your church believes or doesn't believe about the LGBT community. And so they'll put you down as either affirming or not affirming, not clear, very clear, unclear. Go to the website and you'll see it. And see if your church is already on there. And somebody's already went in and identified it. Not, this, this, um, 
Now, when it goes, and, and I almost end up spending too much time on the agenda part, but again, what are we to do about it? Well, when the enemy comes in uh, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Well, the Word of God and the Spirit of God are together. And so paramount to being able to lift up a standard is to lift up the Word of God. And that's where we have to have uh, our understanding of how these institutions are going to operate. These are the three basic, basic institutions that God has given the governance of our earth. The home, the church, and many people are hard to believe this, but if you go to Romans 13, God came up with the idea of government. People say, what are you doing getting out of the ministry, getting involved in politics? Well, he calls them ministers. Matter of fact, in some thought you go over in Africa and Asia and other places, they call them ministers of education, ministers of transportation. They're called ministers. I mean, that's a biblical term. It's a ministry. I mean, so I'm just saying it's, again, anything in life, if we want it to run better, we need to find out what God thinks about it. I'm just, and so the scriptures where you go for it. So let's therefore reject uh, through our teaching, living, standard teaching. Um, I have a sheet here that you can have as long as they don't run out. I think they got enough. Did everybody get that one that just went out? This is a message that I preached from 12 years ago, some notes on the rejection of homosexuality. I took some of it out. It's not necessary because Mother was, was talking to things that were happening 12 years ago. But I preached a four-part series on the rejection of homosexuality just so that the church was on Sunday night. Just so that the church would understand the biblical side of this. Um, and, and, and not just looking at it for just something I'm against because I don't like it. I found out through the years of preaching, 35 years as a Baptist preacher, there's a lot of things that church members don't like, and it doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I mean, you know, the things that we're not supposed to like need to be the things that God doesn't like. Um, and, and so we need to make sure it's a biblical reason behind not just, I don't like these kinds of people because I don't like these kinds of people. That's, and again, we shouldn't. There shouldn't be anybody that we don't like from the standpoint that we're not going to love. I don't care where you are. Okay? And I'm going to, you know, I, you're not seeing all the other videos that are making me look a lot worse, but I'm going to swing to the left here a little bit in some people's eyes. But before I can swing to what appears to some people to be to the left, which I don't consider to be the left, to, to an embracing from the standpoint of loving the LGBT community, I'm not loving homosexuality. Clearly define that for you. I'm not doing that. But before I can go and truly be able to understand how to love, I got to understand what the standards are in the Word of God, right. so that I'll be able to love in a way that is constructive. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to hurt them with the mercy that I give. I want to help them with mercy. I just finished a series on Sunday night with dealing with spiritual gifts, talking about the seven motivational gifts. And mercy was in there. And, and mercy and prophecy have a tendency to run into each other. So I have a prophecy. Mine is prophecy. Typically, I get in trouble with mercy people. Mercy people get mad with me. They don't think I'm being nice. I don't think they're being firm. Anyway, all right. So, <laughs> they're probably more right than I am. But anyway. Now, then I think about what, what, how have we already, we, we talk about, it's almost like, oh, yeah, this is going to destroy the family. Well, the LGBT movement 
and same-sex marriage will help finish off the family. But let me tell you something, the destruction of the family was already here by heterosexual sin. Not, but I will say this, you can fix heterosexual sin, but you cannot fix homosexual sin. There's nothing to fix there, it's just wrong. But just because you're heterosexual doesn't mean you're not doing anything to hurt the home either. And we start out with abortifacients. Because what's happened is we want to have sex without babies, and now we move to the part where we want to have babies without sex. You know, uh, you know. So I, I'm just saying it's it's it's, it's like it's, it's it's all about me. And so that that, and I'm not saying you shouldn't use a contraception. I'm not even going to get into that argument here today. But abortifacient versus contraception is two separate things. Uh, Contraceptive stopping contraception from taking place is one thing. Abortifacient, when you've got fertilization of a sperm, a sperm and egg come together, you've got fertilization takes place. If you believe that life begins at conception, you've got a human life. If you do something then to cause it to be discarded, you just kill the human just as much as you kill the human if he's 50 Amen. years old. I mean, because 46 chromosomes, you've got the DNA footprint is there. Amen. So that's why uh, Hobby Lobby said, look, we ought not to have. They were not against birth control or contraception. We don't want to have to provide abortifacients because we don't we believe life begins at conception. So that's why some people believe we need in vitro fertilization, that those eggs should not be discarded because you froze those embryos, that's a human being. I want to get into my George Wright life stuff, but I'm just saying. Oh, I get, I get hung into stuff too much. Legalization of abortion itself. I mean, 60 million. This is surgical abortion. We're not talking about RU 46 and chemical toxicity. We're, we're talking about just what we can be able to, you know, 1.4 million a year. Uh, more people die every day in the abortion region in the United States of America than died on 9 11 than died every day since then. And one died every 23 seconds on average. A lot of And God says, I hate the shedding. Hate the hands that shed innocent blood. I'm fearing that we're going to have some judgment coming eventually in our nation. Amen. Yes. Yeah. It might. This may not be the. This may. Yeah, that's right. It may be what we're already seeing in some ways. But God does say, if you keep hard in your heart, I'll let you have what you want. Yeah. If you don't want my will, I'll give you your will. You'll find out your will is not going to be good. <laughs> Which will make people say, I think we'll go back to God's will now. My will didn't work. Uh, no fault divorce, 50 years. We're at 50 years no fault, no, no, no fault divorce. And you know what? Uh, divorce rate's down to 50 some percent, or about 70 some percent when this happens. It worked. No, it's not working. People are not getting married. And the more you tear down marriage and the sanctity of marriage, such as same sex marriage, right? It, you demean the even need of it to start with. People just living together. I love to see that folks are waiting older to get married. I'm concerned that they're waiting in other areas before they get married. Dr. Dobson said the agenda for the homosexual wanting marriage was to completely right. negate right. the right. need for marriage or that it hasn't been at all. Yeah. Like I said, we're already destroying it with heterosexual sin already in, 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 as far as it's being complimented and appreciated like it should be. Um, again, no fault divorce. Again, let me say something. We had zombie marriages before then. You know, they were dead already. Just they were not able to get out of them. I mean, and that doesn't mean that you should get a divorce then. I'm just saying 
just because people live together doesn't mean they're happy in a marriage. God wants you to live together and be happy. But anyway, no fault of divorce. Accepting living together before marriage as well is just a common thing. Uh, denial of responsibility in raising our children. We just basically people don't don't have time to raise kids. They could give it to somebody else. Well, you can give that to somebody. You have the right and authority to do that. You just need to make sure who, who, who you're giving it to. You're still going to answer to God. Whether you do it, somebody else does it. That's why you have to be involved in the process. Mm-hmm. And so standing in public policy, the greatest danger we face beyond same-sex marriage is public accommodation law, civil rights statutes that recognize LGBT as protected class of citizens. Well, nobody is for anybody being mistreated. I don't care what you are and what you believe. Raising that status will, will move us to a new area of persecution typically for Christians where they'll be forced. And I, I've talked many times with news reporters and LGBT community and, and activists and saying, you know, we're not we're not here for discriminating against LGBT community. We just don't want to have to participate in something that our conscience with our God is a sin. In other words, marriage for a Christian is a worship service where God's it's a thing that you're trying to bring God in. It's not just some you know, some secular meeting out here. And even in the Arlington Cakes situation, you know, she hired LGBT. She did all types of uh, cakes for LGBT community. She just would not do a, a cake that she put her artistic design in for a marriage. So she was not discriminatory. It, it had to do with her, it was a conscience issue between her and the Lord. I wouldn't expect, and I have, I've talked to people in the LGBT community who told me that Mike, I wouldn't do it either. Because not all people in the LGBT community believe that Christians are forced to do that. And not everybody in the LGBT community may even consider themselves to be gay, meaning they don't be a part, they're not a part of the political side. Again, I know you, um, you know, that's where I start transitioning to the other side, but some of the nicest people I've ever met were in the gay community. Some of the meanest people I've ever met have been in church. Yeah. I mean, really, I'm not knocking church. That's I've been past 35 years. Hey, I'm like Howard Carter. I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. Yeah, I have a question because um, I followed that yeah. Arlene Flout, that, that yeah. uh, bakery. My concern is, is that as believers, as a faith community, when we see other businesses such as that, such as Hobby Lobby, I don't hear, I hear the other side standing yeah, we, up. Yeah, we can't get it out. Yeah, this is our problem. I, 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 have, I, I meet with uh, activist groups on our side on a regular basis. And we work on our messaging. And we make sure that those are in our conglomerate that we work with, which is a large group, that we are all saying the same thing. The problem is we can't get it out. We, you know, we use social media and things like that, but and I've become very close friends with a lot of reporters that I've worked with for 12 years at the Capitol. They're great people. Uh, Jim Galloway is a personal friend of mine, and I've gotten on to Jim about things that he said. He said, Mike, I'll be honest with you, even though he writes some things I don't agree with, period, anyway, he doesn't even put the title. Matter of fact, I over George Wright and Wyatt, I said, why did you always call us an anti-abortion group when the article was on uh, embryonic stem cell research. That ain't got nothing to do with abortion. They always put anti on us. They never call them anti-life. And, you know, I mean, they'll call anti-death, I mean, a pro-death group. Or, you know, I, I'm just saying, we, we get stigmatized, bam, I mean, just right out of the shelf, every on the shelf, every time that's what we're saying. 
And so that's what I'm saying. Is, you know what? That's where the pool pit's important. Because the, the place that has the most impact on the grassroots is the pool pit. And our pool pits have to learn to how to communicate these things so that they don't come across being derogatory either. I used to work in news media. I was a reporter in South Carolina. And unfortunately, giving equal opportunity to issues and stuff is not a rule. One time it's a rule is in a political race to get a candidate a certain amount of time. You have to give the opposing candidate the same amount of time. And it's just not a rule with an issue or a story or anything. So it's all about the reporter or the news outlet and how much time they have that day or what they want to give the time to. It's just not a rule. But, but again, I'm saying we do have access to the churches and pulpits, and you see this class has been packed, and we, you know, it was uh, last time I did this. Uh, I mean, there were to be 100 people in here, not that I'm really good at it, but I'm just saying there's a tendency at times when something's bothering you, you don't want to deal with it, until you have to deal with it. Typically, when you have to, it's too late. I'm going to have to hurry now, and I'm going to get through. I know you might address for a second, if you will, on what this lady said. <clears throat> about whether it's parenting, I see so much of this in parenting now, or the church, or whether it's speak a little bit to the issue of meshing grace yeah, mercy, and along with saying no. Yep. Nobody says no anymore. Right. Parents don't say no anymore. The church doesn't say no anymore because we're right. scared of political correctness and all the other things. Yep. No is not a bad word. Hang on, we're not going to see this one either. Uh, this is something material that you need to get. Uh, there's also this material here. It's called the Church Alliance Program, where you can, for for the average Southern Baptist small church, about two hundred dollars a year, uh, twenty percent off of whatever your size church is, and they will assign an attorney to you that will review your documents to make sure that you're protected legally against the attacks that, that are coming so that you have that and this is protecting your ministry of ERLC and, and uh, online spending freedom going through the things that you need to do from a church standpoint of making sure that you've got policies in place so that you get into legal issues you'll be able to know what to do uh, and you can go to the public affairs page and you can see that information there I'm not going to have time to get it. I want to get over to Lane and the LGBT community in just a minute. Now, uh, if there's only 5% of LGBT, that leaves 95% of Christians. So we need to be the ones doing something. No, not 95% Christians. Well, 95% other. So maybe 80% Christians, you think? No. No? Depends. I mean, you're going to look at 80 to 90% believe in God. And when you, but wait, what you do is when you go into Pew Research, poll, for example, and you begin to get it down to how many of you actually are a member of a church, how many of you attend at least once a month. If those numbers drop from like 60 to 40 percent like overnight, you know, and you go go once a week, you're way down. Now, again, I'm not for churchianity. You know, if church, you'd be a member of a church and be lost. So I'm just saying that you're trying to find some outside indicator of what something looks like as a community. No, I'm just thinking... This if thing is a cat, a Persian cat, you put water on it, it gets smaller. Yeah, so why can't we put the water on it? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I I can't get into all that and get to this. Love the homosexual. We need to see the difference between the activists and the community. And that and what's happened is I've gotten to know some of the activists 
and they they look at me like, "Wow, you're not what I thought." You know, and I'll be honest with you, there were years ago I didn't care what they thought. You know, I didn't mind them being scared. But as the Lord's worked in my heart to understand that difference, um, so there are ways to, to repel. I'm working my way through, but it needs the, the community needs to be loved. I've got to tell you. I, I got to tell you something. Uh, the two stories I've got to get out of here with, and in this video, I'm gonna make it work. Lord willing, you've got to see. Or I'll just tell you. Jesus said, "The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through me." And what Jesus was trying to do is to show you what was the ultimate outcome all along. And that is how it's not about religion; it's about a relationship with God. And the fact that there's grace and truth indicates there's a relationship and understand that there's a teaching type of thing involved as well. Again, the, the story that I gave you of my son uh, would, would be the illustrative of this fact that we would have to say the truth says that abortion is a sin. But grace says that abortion can be forgiven. Absolutely. It's paramount that they both be given at the same time. It's yes. paramount that we speak the truth but yes. speak the truth in love. Yes. And that it be proper. You're looking at guys past for 35 years. And probably 30 of those years, I was very, very hard right. And it's been over the last five years, God's broken my heart. And what happened? My son walked away from the faith. But I had four children, three girls, and a son that traveled with me, campaigned with me, who five years ago when I came back from preaching and by the time I could go to church that night and get back home he'd already moved all this stuff out it was gone my right hand was gone and for three months I didn't know where he was and he drank and slept with everything he finally came back home and uh, the day he came back home that night he got caught the UI and got him out of jail. The next morning we went and shot birds. I never said anything to him about it. But this ain't the stuff you're going to live here. I can't have you drinking here. I, I want to encourage you to go to church. I don't make you go to church anymore. I just want to go home. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was big for a preacher. Yeah. Do it. So that was in the fall. And by that January, we're dealing with religious liberty legislation. And I'm in a room full of LGBT. It's a room about maybe twice this size. I had to move the hearing from where it usually was into a makeshift room on the second floor. And the LGBT had been coming for three hours because the hearings continued to be delayed. They were coming, but our side was not coming. It ended up being me and Kay Godwin from South Georgia and Frank McKay of Archdiocese. We were only three people probably were not gay in there except for the panel. And I began to listen to things that they were talking about how they were being treated. And I, again, the old you know, redneck side of me was saying, you got to come and do it. Hey, you make your bed, you ought to have to lie. And I, and I understand, I need to share with them that this helps. But you know what? Nobody should be mistreated. You got it. Nobody. You got it. Nothing justifies me treating you ugly. Mistreating you. Yes, sir. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care what your orientation, gender, identity. I love you. 
I've got a picture of me on the 40th day with a woman that's trying to be a man. Now, if I put my arm around, I said, well, I'll give a picture with you. I just want to remind you, God loves you just the way you are. But listen, God wants me and you both to be more like Jesus. He will change us with you. I know you think, boy, you're giving in, aren't you? No, I'm telling you, I'm building a bridge. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And that's just between her and God, not me. I'm just there to try to, you know, I'm a matchmaker. I'm working. I'm an ambassador trying to work this thing out. But when I was in that room and I saw that that day, and because my son walked away and he was still away from the faith, he was just at home, I realized that every, every man and woman that was in that room had a mom and a dad. They were a son or a daughter. And I realized that could be my son. That could be my daughter. Now, I don't yep. say because it's our children, we should change the standards yep. of the Word of God. I'm telling you, when it's our son, it's our daughter, and we start thinking a little differently about how to apply it. You know why? Because we love those people. Yep. We're supposed to love them anyway. Yep. They don't have to be our daughter. They just have to be somebody else's daughter. <clears throat> that began to melt my heart. And then that same year, uh, I'll go to it here. Uh, it's not the worst sin. Uh, original sin has has had its impact on all of us, meaning all of us have greater propensity, whether it's lying or kleptomaniac. I mean, but it's all because of original sin that's created that propensity. Sure. That would be your issue ain't my issue, but but sin is what caused it. All of sin, and listen, indwelling sin is a great humbler of all of us because we're saved, we're still dealing with it. Sure. Having embraced the cross, or listen, I still deal with heterosexual sex from the standpoint of not that I'm actually committing it, but I don't want to lust. And and I will if I don't embrace the cross that Jesus sure. lives in. Sure. My old sure. flesh comes out, ooh, that's a good looking girl right there. You know, I mean that. I think, whoa, whoa, we've got to stop. Yeah. You know, even. Uh, um, uh, what's her name? I can't remember if I have the sheet. Oh, I got all this stuff here. I can never find it. But anyway, <laughs> a lesbian, I, I heard her at a, at a convention. She was talking about, you know, because she had this attraction for girls. And uh, when she got saved, she's working a fast food joint. And this good-looking girl came up to order something. You know, what's her name? Hill Jackie, Perry. Jackie Hill Perry. And she said, she got the, she said she turned around and walked back into the kitchen and Mm-hmm, that's a good-looking girl. And she said, man, conviction just went all over. She said, yeah. she said praise God, I'm saved. <laughs> just because you're saved don't mean you're never going to be tempted. Yeah, that's right. But see, now she's saved. She didn't have to give in that temptation. She could say no because Jesus inside of her. Now she could have grieved the Spirit and went on and thought about it and hurt her fellowship with the Lord without a relationship. And it's the same way in Henderson. Just because I'm married don't mean I don't have a problem. I have to be careful. Don't look there. Don't do this. Sure. Make a covenant with my eyes. I'm getting there. You can find this on the webpage. So here you got me and Brian Longbetter, Georgia, who've been riding around the Capitol saying that we were going to cause men and women, to, cause women and children to be abused to pass religious liberty law because they use their religion as an excuse to beat their wife and their children. And they put me in there because I was representing Kelvin Cochran in the religious liberty bill. Um, and they want us to debate live on Channel 11. I'm telling you, man, I was a nutcase. But so I, and they, and they get me there, get to the place, and they say, go sit in the green room and wait till the time you got about 20 minutes before we go live. And there, there's Brian sitting in there. Our enemies. We never met. Put us in there, we look at each other. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. 
Think about the person you don't like the most. Put you in a room, shut the door with them. <laughs> Walk away. You sound like two cats fighting. So here we are. We just—he's on one side of the room, on the other side. We just look at each other. I'm like, I'm gonna start this right now. I said, Brian, I love you. I don't hate you. I repent of my homophobia, my derogatory remark, everything I said against your community. I'm not here to hurt you today. And he looked at me. So well, that's interesting. He said, because if that's true, then why is it that people like you always say that people like us are going to hell? I said, Brian, hold it. We're all going to hell. Original sins has impact on all of our lives. We're all sinners. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross to forgive us of our sin so that we can have a personal relationship and be forgiven of our sin. And I'm not here. I said, you know, your sin don't even make God's top seven list. <laughs> what do you mean? I said, yeah, it don't, it don't even make the top seven. I said, you know what the number one sin is to God? Listen to it. He said, oh, I not used to be a Southern Baptist. I said, well, the Scripture says there's six things that the Lord hates, yet seven. And number one is a proud look. And pride shows itself up greatest when we refuse to admit that we're sinners and we need a Savior. And I said, that's what it's all about. And we just talked. Before I went in there, the Twitter feed, they were wearing me out. Wearing me out. They called me everything what I was. I got out of there. I looked on the Twitter feed to this day, Better Georgia, which now is not an organization. They went out of business this year. I had never seen another tag on them anything else. I'm not telling y'all we can just nice our way with everybody. We'll never have Listen, Jesus was the nicest person that would walk the face of earth. Yes, he's they hated him. He said they mistreated me. They're going to mistreat you. They treat the master this way. What do you think you're going to do with the servant? I mean, Jesus, when I'm dripping with Jesus, I'm at the Capitol, and I'm not agreeing with people that are wrong, they're going to still hate me. Yeah. I don't need to be treating them in a way that is not Christ-like, so the onus will be on them, not on me. Yes. So that God's grace will be there, an opportunity for them to repent if they yes. want to. And they won't stand before God one day and say, I didn't have a chance, I didn't know. They'll say, no, I sent my Griffin in there. He talked to you about the gospel. Yeah. And I talked, conversed a number of times with one particular person I'm still praying for. And, uh, you know, I shared with him, I said, you know, you don't, you don't, that doesn't mean you have to even get married. You, you may just want to stay celibate and single. God may give you the, great, the grace to be able to do that. And I said, it doesn't mean that you won't ever be tempted again. And another time we were talking, he said, you know, Mike, I, you told me, you know, it's amazing. You're talking about going to hell and heaven and all. And so I had a thinking, he said, uh, if you're right and I'm wrong, well, he said, if I'm right and you're wrong, when you die, you'll just be dead. He said, but if you're right and I'm wrong, I go to hell. I said, yeah, but that's, that's what I'm trying to get you to see. You don't have to do that. You know, all of that working in my own heart and dealing uh, has changed my whole attitude over the last five years and just dealing with this issue where I've been able actually to friend and talk to. Now, I don't have a large group. I haven't ever led one you know, right there to the Lord, but I've been able to talk to them. Uh, again, that just shows you all the sins that are listed there. And I, I also told Brian, by the way, that doesn't mean that there aren't sins that don't have a greater societal impact. 
they're not sins that don't carry with it a greater condemnation standpoint of, of, of judgment and dealing with those issues. But as far as God, the, the playing field is level in our all of our need of Christ. And so I want him to be able to see that distinction. And that's the passage of Proverbs 6, proud Lord. Rosario Butterfield has several books about... Yeah, and that's, that's why I want to show her video here. Uh, her book brought out these two points, which was very good. I saw her at, the, at this convention I was at. And, and she, it, we talk, talk about the Matthew passage. When we go back to Sodom and Gomorrah and what happened there that day, Jesus said that for those hypocrites who had rejected him and their self-righteousness were worse than the homosexuals. So if you, if you want to grade out something, it didn't... Jesus said this can be worse on them on the day of judgment than if you were in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you go to the Ezekiel passage. Ezekiel's referring back to Sodom and Gomorrah. And before he gets to the abomination part, he talks about the fact that the daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease. So materialism, luxuries, you know, all these things were that those things were leading to the other worse sins. It comes up that. The LGBT sins that we're seeing necessarily today are not necessarily the cause of what the problem is. It's other, in other words, these are end up being the symptoms of a society that has gone adrift. These things don't show up first. They show up last because of the other sins that are here. And, and again, you and I, 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 we're not sitting up here saying the LGBT community to get right with God or country to be fine. No, God would say if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. See, my faith, then I'll heal you land. So I think the real issue is us walking with God, having kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Exactly what Ephesians 4 says, the church is to be characterized by. I think there's some repentance in that. Not that repenting that we don't believe these things are wrong anymore, but we got to repent about the way we were reacting to people with them. And quit put the checklist of sin. And, and if you don't have any sin up here in the top, well, you know, but if you're, you know, if you're on my top list, I don't have anything to do with it, but you got these little sins down here in the bottom. No, no, no. You can't start doing it. You start, start grading people out like that. Um, we need to repent of our homophobia, bigotry, uh, derogatory remarks against the LGBT community. I'm not saying that as an affirmation. I'm just saying you and I don't have to get involved in that kind of stuff. We don't need to be talking that way. Prejudice, discrimination. You go to James 2, it's a passage I preached on years ago, chapter 2. And I know that the context is about a rich guy coming in, you got the poor people out of the way, want him to sit down in front. But the general principle of prejudice, discrimination is given in that passage. Understand that Christ's kind of love is not expressed with favoritism. Understand that Christ's love is not demonstrated with worldly standards. Understand that expressing love with prejudice, discrimination is a sin. And understand that real love is a reaction caused from the experience of God's love yourself. You know, the tender the, the, the kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness comes out of the forgiveness, the kindness and the tenderheartedness God's expressed toward us. <laughs> God was tenderhearted toward our sin. He was broken over our sin and what we what we've done. That's the way we're to respond. I know people say, Well, that's an affirmation. No, well the scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did that mean he was affirming our sin? He loved us when we were in our sin? That didn't mean he was affirming our sin. He was affirming our word in Him, in His eyes, that exceeded our sin. Right, that's it. The answer to the problem.
So we have to have a renewed conviction in our churches that the gospel can save anyone. Absolutely. And I'm going to see if we can see this again. I don't want you to hear what Rosaria said. If she doesn't, I'll tell you what she said. What's the name again? Uh, then I'm going to stand in front of the paint. But let's... She's got at least two books, but... Maybe. On my motorcycle. <laughs> it's the wrong one. When I started reading the Bible, I was reading it for a research project. You know, I was writing a book on the religious right from a lesbian feminist perspective. And, you know, my right, here we go. When I started reading the Bible, I was reading it for a research project. You know, I was writing a book on the religious right from a lesbian feminist perspective. And, you know, my colleague was an anthropologist. He could go off to Promise Keepers, you know, meetings and interview people. But I'm an English professor by training. My job is to read this book that got all these people in trouble and figure out why. And, um, no, I'm serious. You think I'm kidding. I'm cleaned up right now. This is... Um, you know, in addition to that, I'm an English professor by training. I'm a whole book specialist, so my job is to size up a book in terms of its integrity. Um, I would never use the Norton Anthology. I would, you know, you'd have to read all of it. My job is to make sure that the parts make up the whole. So when I started reading the Bible, it was absolutely undoing to me to discover that that is what we have here. It was absolutely um, hermeneutically shocking to me to discover that the Bible was a unified biblical revelation. I was undone at the reality that God deals differently with people when people deal differently with God. I was blown away by the democratization of original sin and the free gift of the gospel. And most of all, my total undoing was to realize that I had thought I was on the side of righteousness and goodness and kindness and compassion, and it was my total undoing to realize that not only was it Jesus I had been persecuting the whole time, but it was my Jesus, my prophet, my priest, my savior, my king, and my friend. And so that was my encounter with the Lord. Uh, I don't know how else to say it except for that the pastor that the Lord used in, in my conversion was my neighbor and my friend. We opened the word together because I was trying to critique it and he was more than happy to help me keep reading it. Um, I was using him and perhaps he was using me. But I never felt like a project. And part of why I never felt like a project was that Ken Smith always realized that the big sin in my life was unbelief. Everything else would get worked out in the wash. Amen. Okay, so, so, so you and I are not here to have to tear down and battle and refix every sin in somebody's life to get them saved. No. We don't have to get them fixed to get them saved. No. Just like to get a bath, you don't get cleaned up. You just know him just as I am. That's how you come. And that's and then coming to Christ does that. 
And so once somebody realizes they're a sinner in need of Christ, and they turn to Him, well, we can't turn to Him without turning away from anything else. I mean, He just becomes everything. And then, you know, it may take a period. Uh, this lady was in here last night, said, yeah, I think you said it was like a three-year period for her to really come clean from all the relationships. And Rosario was a tender professor, taught queer theory and everything at Syracuse she for years. And so... Uh, and she did. She wasn't married. She's married now. No, I mean, she was married to a woman. Was she, not? she she was living with a woman. I don't know if they were married. They were. Uh, and and I'm just saying. So she had to continue to work at Syracuse to, to work through that. The Lord had regenerated her, and she was working. And I mean, she'd been born again, but she had to get you know, that coming on the outside part. Christ working out. I think it's interesting that it was just through the Word of God that brought her to that revelation. Right, and she was studying the scripture to critique it, as she said. She was a whole book analyst. And she just began to realize that you know, that was it. Uh, let me just mention this. I didn't mean to do that. I, we've got, all I'm doing is costing y'all from heat. This is what I'm used to doing on Sundays. Um, and, you know, unless we're playing baseball, most people don't like extra innings. But... Um, so how, how do you reach them? I didn't. I got that on your list. Um, be friendly and listen. Pray daily. Wait patiently. My my son who came back to the Lord now. I'm glad to say he has. Amen. Uh, over the last two years, made his way back, and over the last six eight months, he's just he's a person I've never met before. He almost texts me every day in the scripture. <laughs> and talks about talking. He loves to do like Randy Mullinac. He likes to go to a coffee shop and engage people and get them to talk. And I've got people who are living way on the edge. He says, Dad, just let me know. I'll go, I'll go take them out of here. That's the way he engages people. And he says, I don't I don't push them. I just sit there and talk. And just just love on people. And then, then there's an opportunity to come and tell you about what God did in my life. And you know, it's, it's in. I mean, faith comes by hearing by the word of God somewhere it's got to get out. Uh, but and wait patiently and seize the moment when it comes. Truthfully and graciously. You know, this one lady I've got the picture with, I tried to give her another track. I'd give her my testimony track. I just got my testimony from the road on the back. I'd give her three years ago. I said, look, I got a new track. I said, no more propaganda. <laughs> I said, yeah, this is an old Billy Graham track. His propaganda is better than mine. you got to read it. Nope, I don't want to say nothing else. Okay. <laughs> I didn't you anymore. But, you know, so she knows where I'm at. She's seen my testimony. And so now I've just got to let the Lord live himself out in me and around her. Um, any questions between, um, between you and lunch? You gotta go I, I would just say really you quickly. You're, I mean, I love love this right here because we just experienced this in our, um, me and my wife in our own circle. Uh, I coach my son's eight year eight year old football team, and we've got a couple that has an open relationship. They have two kids married, but they're seeking a, to become a thruple. And um, yeah, she put something on Facebook, and my wife just asked her a question because. We had, for whatever reason, we had seen a lot of information about that lately. And uh, when we finally responded, she was literally just thankful that we weren't going to turn them away because, to quote her, we didn't think we'd have any friends here. And just by us 
saying, hey, we love y'all, we still want to be friends with y'all. Like, she was totally blown away. So, I mean, I, I yeah. I can't even pronounce it, protect, I have to think about it for a minute, but have you believe it. Well, that's where we're heading to, because you know, once you say that two men can get married to two women, what's wrong with three? Matter of fact, the thing better Georgia was saying, I said, two men can marry a man, why can't a man marry his horse? And they found that quote, I preached at Mike Stone's church one time, and they put that, you know, their Twitter feed, and I thought, well, I wouldn't, if I were them, I wouldn't even put that out there. I was kind of goofy, I promise you never said it. I'm just saying, that's 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 why I'm saying, once you break that down, yes, former reporter. <laughs> I have a question, and I've been stuck here for a long time, I've talked to my dad about it, but um, I live in a condo in Atlanta, and um, my neighbors right below me are a lesbian couple, and they're the most wonderful people, and um, we've had a couple of years to really get to know each other, and um, the one of the wives is, they're married, she grew up in a very, very conservative home like I did. And um, when her parents found out she was lesbian, they sent her to the conversion camp with her pastor one-on-one. It was very abusive, and it was awful. And um, so to say that she's angry about that is an understatement. But flash forward to now, and she has a true desire to live her life as a Christian. And with the music of our teenage years is the music she listens to. She does her devotions daily. She's desperate to be a part of a church. Um, all she wants to talk to me about is faith and what I talked about in church on Sunday. She wants to talk to my parents, dad's pastor. Um, that's, we talk about it all the time. And we've gotten to a place where we can have these very open, frank conversations, even to the point of, I know that to be able to be a part of this, I have to break up with my wife. And that's when I love her. And so the doors are open. She trusts me. We're there. But they can't be a part of a church. And I even want them to come to my church. But let's be honest. People are going to stare at them, and that's the first thing that scares them away. So they're ready. They want to be plugged in. They're right there. I know that if a church would take them in, that it would start to change their lives. But where where do I send them? Where do I go? What's the next step? To do that and see them as being more important. Dr. James Merritt has a testimony where uh, he went and visited a lesbian couple that were married. And he, he actually just sat down in the floor with them. They sat there and talked. And he shared the gospel. And later on, one of them came to know Christ and started coming to church. Now, I don't think they ever joined because of, of that. But they, but, but they were coming. And later on, as she began to grow in the Lord, she realized that she couldn't stay in that relationship. And this happened like eight or nine years ago. And James just talked about this at the Little Conference. And he said, he's in his office one day, and the secretary said, there's a woman, I don't know who she is, here's her name, says she's got to see you. And James says, oh yeah, I need to see her. And he said, I hadn't seen her in eight years. She's still living for the Lord. She's still uh, not involved in any bad relationship with anybody. I don't think she's married. But he said, she's still doing right. You know, and they, I think they started by living, just staying in separate bedrooms. So you gotta have a you gotta have an entry point there somewhere to be able to have that. And I mean we're dealing with a situation now that, that, to try to stop conversion therapy. And I, and I guess our, our concern we will oppose them outlawing it. Um, but it's just like anything, there's good and bad in it, there's a bad way, a good way to do the right thing. And so I'm sure there's I'd like to know more about that. Categorically we'd be against them not 
allowing somebody to try to help somebody. But the churches they've tried, though, are what you would think that they are, very seeker-friendly, no meat, definitely not what she grew up with, um, definitely not a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and that's what she wants. However, when they've tried those kinds of churches, probably a lot of the churches we go to, people stare at them, and that's the first thing that scares them away. So so what do, what do they do? And as much as we say that we want to welcome them with open arms, the handful of us in this room would, but the rest of the, the 90% of the church isn't. And maybe they're not saying anything to them, but they're not welcoming them there. So where do I send them? What do we do with them? There it's first of the symbol, right? No, he's in Crossroads, well, uh, which is over there by in Duluth. That should have That would be a place. But I got out of the pulpit about again. It was like within the year of Mike leaving, and I just said, "I want to confess something, ask your forgiveness, and I'm going to make a statement here. This is what it's going to be here on out." I said, "I want to tell you why people are not coming to this church. Tonight. It's not growing. I said, it's because they don't believe we love them unconditionally." that you'd have to live a certain way to come in here. And by the way, we do believe that the Lord does have a standard for us to live to. But the concern I have is that you and I aren't living up to it either. Because we get to think of we're not smoking, drinking, cussing, or chewing. We're good to go. But we got other attitude sins and other things in our life that we're struggling with. So we're putting on a facade. When they come in here, I said, this ought to be the kind of church that the LGBT community yep. that I have been through. Absolutely. Somebody can walk in here with purple hair and two guys or two and sit down. And as a matter of fact, in this book, it talks about a guy saying, I bet you wouldn't let me in my church, let me in your church, because he said, because I'm a queer. And that was his quote. And he says, why would you say that? He said, no, we, we would. So the point was, at some point, I have to, we do, somebody's got to address this issue like we have today and break the ice and say, look, we can hold the standard. doesn't mean you have to join the church. That's why I tried to show you about the standards. of, of, of You don't let people join the church the first Sunday. You sit down and talk with them. You go through a discipling process that may need to go through. And then you have to go through a process where you manage your church in a loving kind of way because 15 years, somebody's been gone to church, may come back and say, I want to use your fellowship hall for so I'm saying those are a thing but now you're talking about trying to reach the community how are you going to do it and like you said these other churches which seem to not be really teaching the word of God like they ought to but yet they can feel comfortable why can't I don't understand why can't we be as doctrinally as, as straight as a gun barrel but full of love too I mean, I don't, why do we have to say to be doctrinally right you got to be mean no, and and to love people, you got to be weak. Mm. And I'm like, why can't? Why do we? Why do we ever separate that? And I feel hypocritical or whatever to just say that I can only talk to you about this at home. I can't take you to my church, and I don't mean my church is so full of love. But there's still going to be people at my church, just like at every other church, that are going to be upset that they're there. Um, I think maybe you could bring them to like a small group or a prayer group. Um, um, like the first step, and then we will understand them and pray for them. Let me tell you what all of us yes. can do. And one more, one more question. I'm sorry. Uh, is it okay to attend a same-sex marriage, same-sex wedding? Well, the the reasons someone would oppose of that, oppose that, would be because when you go to a wedding, typically you are a witness and a part of the wedding. So, in other words, you were there 
to participate. It's not a pure spectator thing. So if you do not believe in same-sex marriage, to go to a marriage ceremony would be to participate in the marriage. Now I've heard people about disagreements of what well not to go to other steps. And, I, and I, I have my own personal convictions about that. I happen to know a person that did go to the reception but didn't go to the wedding. And people came to him and said, because you didn't go to the wedding, we see you at the reception, we understand what you're saying. And we appreciate the fact that you came, but we respect that you do disagree with us. So I'm not recommending I'm recommending that you go to a reception. I'm just telling you that's what has been of the people that have participated or not. For me personally, I don't know. I don't know if I could go to either one. I, I know I could go to the wedding. Uh, I'm just saying that that's an issue you have to deal with. Yeah. Um, Rosaria says not to. Right. And she has particular reasons. Well, and I thought with ADF, I talked with uh, one of their leading attorneys who deals with a lot of the issues going on in North Carolina uh, with bathroom laws and all. We were talking because because we want to reach young people with the gospel. Well, there's no way you're going to reach young people that you're not going to reach. Uh, gender dysphoria uh, situations in your church. And he's saying, accommodate where you can, but do not do anything that affirms it. Right. And that comes to do with the pronouns. And, sure. and I've, uh, my friend has already made it clear to me that I'm not to call her a she, but I use we, they. And I will call her by her new name. Because people call themselves all kind of names. But I don't intend to ever use the pronoun, and I won't use the one that's going to offend her either. I'm just not going to use them. Um, and there may be situations where you have in church where you do need some situations where you have bathrooms that people can go to. It doesn't matter. I know a situation right here in Atlanta. A guy, crossdresser, who has a mental problem because his wife died and never had to deal with it, started dressing like a woman. And the, the pastor talked to me, so, you know, if he walks in on men's bathroom, we're going to have more trouble. And he goes walking into a woman's bathroom. But you do it in some churches, there's going to be a physical fight take place if they find out you're in there. And so I think he's been able, maybe has not been going to the restroom, maybe going to a restaurant that, that is a single restroom. You know, a lot of restaurants are doing this now. Again, I'm, I, we should not affirm any of this. And, and I'm not. I know they may think I am by my friendship with them. I'm not, but I'm not making that the test of my my friendship with them. I can't intimately fellowship with people. The darkness and light can't get together. It never will be from that standpoint. But an unconditional love situation, I can do. And so, I think us being able to talk with those folks and minister to them in an open kind of way, and yet they would understand that your belief does not keep you from being able to minister and to be there with them. I know Rosaria talks about some that were dying with AIDS and uh, they ministered to them. Because they're a person created in the image of God. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Challenging, isn't it? Uh, this is going to be a challenging time. Uh, not everybody's going to have good intentions, you know, and, and their purpose is coming there. There may be the times in which they come in and actually disrupt and disarm, uh, bring bring harm uh, in some way. So you got to. So that's what I'm saying. That this whole class is about doing that proper balance. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this group. They bless my heart today. 
And I thank you. And would you guide us? Because we want to go with you as we leave now. In Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you all.